Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you have given unto us the ability to believe. That, Lord, you've taken the blinders off our eyes that we might see, O oh God. And we thank you, Lord, that you're working in our lives. Because, Lord, we are your people. And you're the one who has to work. And, Lord, many of us who have accepted you, we still doubt and we have troubles and we deal with problems and Help us, O oh God, to lay those problems, to lay those doubts on the altar of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to become men and women who are able, O oh God, to believe you and to trust you and to have confidence in you. Remove all that Satan would put before us that would cause us to stumble. For our desire is to walk worthy with the one who has called us. Our desire, O oh God, is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we desire to be your witnesses with our mouth, but also with our lives. So, Lord, would you continue, O oh God, to fashion us, to shape us, to mold us into what you desire us to be. And, Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. May he minister to us. May he convict us. May he teach us. May he reveal to us what eyes have not seen nor ears have heard of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless us this morning with your presence. And Lord, I pray that Lord, as I speak unto the people, that between the words that leave my mouth to the words that travel to their ears, in their heart. May the Holy Spirit, O oh God, intervene. And may He speak. And may the congregation not hear a man, but may they hear the Holy Spirit minister to them. Do that, O oh God, that only you're able to do. Because Flesh and blood cannot glorify you. But your Holy Spirit is the one that lifts up the name of Jesus. It's your Holy Spirit that will glorify him. It is your Holy Spirit who is the author of your word who will convict us of our sins. Would you minister to us in a very special way and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, to believe. To believe. Boy, do you believe in the crucifixion? Do you really believe in the resurrection? Do you really believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe? See, in our world today, there can be so much confusion because there's so much information on this religious scene that oftentimes we are confused and do not know what to believe. We doubt. We doubt. And many people doubt because they cannot wrap their minds around Jesus Christ. 
Remember that little saying? If it's too good to be true, it's not true. And that's what the gospel fits. It's too good to be true. But it is really true. That all I have to do to be saved is repent of my sins, agree with God that I'm a sinner, and he'll save me. That's too good to be true. What should I do? What do I have to do? There's got to be a trick in there somewhere. There's no trick. There's no deception. It's real. So why not just believe? Why not just believe? To take us to what is really true and what is real. When you believe, it really does take you to that which is true and real. It is to have confidence in a statement. And we're going to discover that the apostles and many others did not have confidence in the statement that Jesus made. Even though he repeated it over and over and over and over again, it was hard to have confidence in it. And a lot of us are troubled that way. We read the Word of God, but it's hard to believe in it and have confidence in it. That's why we read it, and then we go off and lean on our own understanding, and we begin to try to work things out, and we do this and we do that, because we're not confident in the Word of God and to trust God. Because to believe is to trust. To believe is to put yourself in somebody else's hands and understand they really care for you. They desire the best for you. It is to have confidence in a statement or promise of another. And Jesus said to his disciples, I will rise in three days. I will rise in three days. But they've never experienced that before. They've never seen that before. they never really heard that before. That somebody's going to come back from the dead in three days? Okay, he said it. But I really don't believe it. He said it. I don't have confidence in that. He said it, but maybe he's just talking. He said it. Did he really mean it? Is it the truth? Or does he just want me to believe in something? Believing involves trusting. You can't say you believe and then won't trust. Because if you don't trust, you really don't believe. You just learned how to say what the hearer may want to hear from you. That I believe. But then you really don't trust. You don't live a life that's really trusting in Jesus Christ, as often that is said, who will make a way out of no way. You don't really trust him to open a door for you or to shut a door. You don't really trust him to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemy. You don't really trust him to supply whatever your needs might be. To believe is to trust. To believe is to trust. And the reason that a lot of Christians are lacking, because they say they believe, but they don't trust. 
They don't have the confidence that God will come through. That God can make a difference. That God can work in their lives. They don't have that confidence. And oftentimes it's true exactly what it says. God's up there and we're down here and we got to do the best we can do where? Down here and God has given me a game plan and he just says, live it out, trust me, believe it, run this. It's like a coach who teaches his players to run a certain play. They got to have confidence in that play. They got to have confidence to trust the coach that if you do this, it will happen. Run the play. Run the play. Perform the plan. Carry out the plan. Do it. Believing involves trusting. And what has been hurt or damaged in people is their ability to trust others. We're going to see that in Scripture. It becomes difficult to trust what others have maybe experienced or what others may have discovered because we have become an isolated people to ourselves, And therefore, it's very hard for us to hear what other people may really believe in. And we've coined this little phrase, well, well, well that's okay for you. And what we're saying is this, That don't fit my life. That can't work in my life. That can't happen in my life. That's okay for you, but it don't work for me. Let me share something with you. God works in all of our lives. And he fits in all of our lives. If we allow him to. And it's their ability to trust Because oftentimes in life, we correlate God with man. And if we learn not to trust man, we don't trust him. Because we correlate those two things together. That somehow man is equal to God. And man is always in the fallen state. That's why God says in his word, trust what? No man. Trust no man, but trust him. Trust him. Now, to trust somebody is really to trust them with your life. And that is huge. That's why oftentimes we say, stay out of my business. Because you get into my business, you know something about my life. And I want my life to stay what? A secret to people. So we say, stay out my business. The thing about the Christian, you want everybody in your business. You want them to know the love that you have for the Lord Jesus Christ. You even want them to know about your finances. Because it's God who's done. You want them to know about your marriage. Because it's God that's giving you the victory in it. You want people to know about your life and where God has given you victory in your failures. Your life should not be a secret. If somebody asks about your life, you should be able to speak the truth. If it's terrible, it's terrible. If it's fair, it's fair. If it's bad, I tell them. And if it's wonderful, it's wonderful. You want people to know. Because, see, everything that you try to hold a secret, God says, I'll shout it from the rooftop. Everything you try to hide and cover up, God reveals it. You just don't know that people know it. You have to trust somebody. But we've become a people who trust no one but self. And that becomes our problem. Because our confidence is only in ourselves. In our ability. 
in our intellect and what we can do for ourselves. And whenever you find that, you'll find something that dictates it and says, this individual is all about self because everything about that individual's life, they want to control it. They want to control it. Is when you can let the control go and let God be in charge, you'll be all right. Because God will control your heart and everybody's heart around you. Yes, Satan will always have somebody to sneak in, but God will give you favor with people around you. And they'll minister to you if you allow God to have control. Because most of our answers to problems in life does not come from my own thinking. It comes from those around me that God has sent to counsel me, and I'm not even aware of it. But they say the right thing, and it hits home. And I recognize it. When you think you're in control, you're not in control anyhow. That's one of the experiences about marriage. Elaine has taught me I'm not in control. She let me think I'm in control. To believe is to give control over to another. But you freely give it. You freely give it. You give it to another. The Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone believes. There's not a human being that doesn't believe. The atheists believe there is no God. But they're still believing. The question that is important for us is what is it that they're believing in? What is it that you really believe in? What is it that you're really trusting in? What is it that you really have confidence in? Because if it's not Jesus Christ, it's something else. And Jesus said he has to be preeminent in your life. He's the one that has to be in control of your life. He won't play second fiddle. First or nothing. And all of us, yes, we all believe. We either believe in the self, I can take care of me, I can do good all by myself, is my way or no way, is all centered around who? Self. Or their own false belief. And you can catch people with their own false beliefs because they come up with their own ideals of how things should function. You read that in the paper about this young girl with Chapel Hill School. If he's really a pastor, a pastor is not supposed to do this to people. A, a, a pastor is supposed to overlook those things and keep giving a person a chance. Well, how many chances do you get? Oh, I don't have to go by the covenant, but they do. And we make up our own rules and they sound good. And we have our own little idols that we've made up in our false belief. And sometimes we even paint a different picture of Jesus Christ other than what Scripture says. And thirdly, do you really believe in the real Jesus? That's why I had the word real Jesus. Because a lot of people make up Jesus. You talk about those makeovers? We make over Jesus. We make him over. We don't accept the Jesus of the Bible. We make the Jesus that we want to follow or believe in. No, we need the real Jesus in our life. Go with me to John chapter 20. Some of this is, we're going to bear out in the little first part, then we're going to leave John, and then we're going to come back to finish up. 
24 and 25. He says, Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came in. The first time. He was not with them. So the other disciples told him. Now, what did the other disciples do? They began to share with him a little thing that was taking place. We've seen Jesus. Jesus is alive. But what they were talking from was from their experience. What they've seen. But recognize now, most likely Thomas had been with these men anywhere from two to three years. These have become friends, and most likely he knew them in the neighborhood even before they become that close-knitted group. But he says to them, in a sense, I don't really believe you. So that when you're witnessing to somebody else, and you're sharing with somebody else what Christ has done in your life, Don't be surprised that they don't believe you. But that shouldn't stop you from sharing what God has done. But don't expect everybody to believe you. Because you're sharing Christ and you're pouring out from your heart. And here's his friends sharing with him. And he doesn't believe. He chooses not to believe. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see. Unless I see. My brother Richard stated those words to me when I went over to his house to share Christ with him. And at that time, Richard was smoking his grass, doing this, doing that, doing everything else. And and Richard just said to me, Gus, what you've experienced or what you believe in and what you're doing, fine, that's good for you. And I'm happy for you. But I don't believe. And my prayer became for Richard that God would open his eyes. And what you have to do is begin to pray for others that God would open their eyes. That they can see. But more than that, Lord, would you allow them to experience you? That you would get into their space. You get into their life. That you get there. That they can see you. And they don't have to just trust what I'm saying. But they begin to experience you and know you for themselves. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks. So Thomas becomes quite pacific. I'm not going to believe unless I see those marks on his hands for myself. I'm not going to believe. And put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And some people are just that way. They're not going to believe until they can do certain steps. I remember when I was being challenged as a young Christian to believe. 
And I had a yellow, and some of you have heard this story, Oldsmobile. That was my Friday night, Saturday night mobile. Uh, but you're shaking your head by. I know, I remember you're in Pala. <laughs> and I knew if I was going to really walk with the Lord, I had to get rid of this car. And uh, I never dreamed in all my life to own a station wagon. That just was not cool. That wasn't the right thing to ride down on Howard Street to the nightclub in a station wagon. And I knew I had to get rid of that car. So I simply said to God, God, if you're really God, this is what I'm asking of you. Remember, uh, Thomas asked. And I said, Lord, I want to sell this car. But I want to sell it to a white man. I want to sell it to a Caucasian. And why is that? There wasn't a Caucasian nowhere in Akron in the state of Ohio that was going to buy that kind of car from a black man. That was just an impossibility at that time. And what did God do? He sent a man from Wadsworth. From Wadsworth? A Caucasian pastor. A pastor? And he bought that car. See, God is never frightened by you testing him. But there's no use of one test after another test after another test because you're not going to believe. But you can put a fleece out there, you can put something out there, and you can ask God to reveal himself to you, and he will. And he will. Why? He's alive. He's not an image. He's not a myth. He's a living God who wants to invade all of our lives if we give him that opportunity to do so. And he wants to draw back your curtain of unbelief that you might believe. He wants to draw it back. Now, oftentimes, this whole process with Thomas I have to see for myself. And that's where a lot of people are at. They have to see something of God for themselves. Not just what you've experienced. You shared your experience and you give witness to what God is able to do. And they'll say that's nice for you. But they haven't experienced it. They're not aware of it. Uh, I want to see God do something. I want to see God work in my life, not your life. See, you may have one of them easy life that God could easily patch and deal with. You don't know my life. My life is rough. My life is one of those impossibilities. And that's where God really works. When Elaine and I was going through our storm and contemplating divorce, God stepped in. And he did a healing. He did a work. And many of us have said, I won't believe. And Thomas is not the only one who didn't believe. Matter of fact, all the apostles didn't believe. Because this was something new. This is something different. This is something they themselves had never experienced in life. Where somebody told them, after, boy, after I die, I'll be back in three days. 
I'll come forth from that grave in three days. All of that was impossible. Though they heard it, they didn't really believe it. What tells me that they didn't believe it? Because they did not take it to heart. Or they themselves would have been the first to the grave to see. To see. Turn with me to Luke 24. And the thing is, Jesus himself reveals himself to them. That they themselves might believe. Because belief is always a stumbling block for us taking the next step in trusting God. That unbelief will keep us from taking that next step to really see what God can do. But when you really believe God and you trust Him, you take the next step. Even though you may suffer in taking that next step, you take that next step. One of our members who moved down to Alabama because Goodrich moved down there. And like I told him, man, you go because he was thinking about staying here. No, you got 13 years with him. You go. And him and his wife, about a year, year and a half before that, was getting ready to go through a divorce. And she went downtown and she signed all the papers. And he was angry. He was mad. And he wasn't going to do this and wasn't doing that. And the judge gave him permission to continue to stay in the house. And he was going to just pay the minimal of what the judge said. And I said, Nate, no. Those two kids are your kids. You do the same thing you were doing when you were staying there. You pay all the bills. You pay the mortgage. You don't need to pay half of it. She, you pay it all. And you take care of your two kids. And he said, Pastor, I'm not living there. I don't want... No. She's still your wife. You pay it all. And after you pay it, you asked her, do you need anything else? Make a long story short, they reconciled. Was able to move to Alabama together. The thing is, yes, you may have to make the sacrifice to see what God will do in your life. But the sacrifice is worth it. Because that's the step you have to take. And in taking that step, you're believing God to do something far beyond what you could ever imagine. And he says, believe. Believe. Pick up in verse 36 with me. Let me get to Luke 24. Can I find it? 36. While they were still talking about, what were they talking about? Two of the men who had been on the road of Damascus had experienced Jesus Christ. It took them a little while to wake up that this is Christ. This is Jesus But once they understood that it was Jesus, they made it to his disciples, to his apostles, to tell them. But just to help you see what they're talking about, go back to verse 26. Did not the Christ have to suffer? And Jesus is talking to them. But they haven't recognized him yet. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all what? The scriptures. And that's what we always begin at, the scriptures. Because Jesus could have just said, here I am. This is me. But he took them back where? To the scriptures. Because part of believing is this, that you start with the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures is what's going to develop what you're going to believe in. And when you begin to trust the Scriptures, to believe the Scriptures, you'll take those baby steps. And then God begins to 
revealed because he's always going to keep his word. And he starts with the scriptures with them and explains the scriptures with them. And then when they went in to sit down to eat and he broke bread, boy, then they recognized and then he left. And these two men are so excited over their experience that they go and tell the disciples. And that's what we're reading now down here in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they have seen a what? A ghost. Even now, when God does something, it's hard for Gus Brown to believe it, (laughs) that God did it. But there's no other explanation but that God did it. That God did it. It's something that God does in an amazing way. That God touched the hearts of people. God reveals himself. And he simply says there, boy, they were startled, frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So they had put Jesus Christ in something of a spiritual issue of being a ghost and something that might show up, might not show up, but they have classified him into something different than what he really is. And he says, he said to them, now now catch what he's going to say. Why are you troubled? Look in that word and you'll find confusion. And what Jesus is saying, why are you so confused? Why are you so mixed up? Why are you wrestling with this? Because our rationale will wrestle with God's word. Because it don't sound safe. It don't sound secure. It don't sound rational. It's something I can't reason out. It's something that I can't understand. It is something that I just have to take by faith and believe it and step out and trust. And he says, why are you troubled with this? Didn't I tell you in three days I would what? So they're troubled with believing what he says. And you'll find many people today who are troubled in believing the scripture. They are troubled in believing what Christ has said. And he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? You've been with me for three years. I've told you a number of times that I had to suffer and go to Jerusalem and die and in three days I would rise. Why are you doubting? It's almost like Jesus saying, do you believe that I lied to you? And his question is, why are you doubting? Why do you allow doubts to rise in your minds? Why do you allow the doubts to rise? Why do you doubt the Lord? And you're the one who has to answer that. Because until you answer it, you won't deal with the real issue about Jesus Christ really being who he says he is. He says, look now, look at my hands, look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself, touch me and see. Simple language, here's the real thing, touch my feet, touch my hands, really look, see. Why? They were doubting, they were troubled. All this is taking place. The two men, they experienced them on the road of Emmaus. They very quickly run and they're telling the others. 
and they are still having trouble believing that Jesus is alive. It's hard for us to take somebody else's word. And the first thing that Jesus comes in, he says, peace be with you. Because when we are confused, we don't believe anything until our minds can what? Calm down. You can say something, I'll have ten different thoughts that come in against it to try to knock it down. And I'm confused because now I have to pick which one of these things is right. Which one do I believe? Which one do I put my confidence in? And he simply says, peace. Because the mind can't hear and the mind cannot function in the way that God intends it to function until there's peace. Peace in the mind. The other day I met a friend of James, Mr. Evans. He was a police officer here in Akron for a long time. But I met him over at my sister-in-law, over at my brother's house. And we just got to talking and come to find out we was in Vietnam at the same time. And he was telling me where the vets wanted his chair because he bought two chairs, one for himself and one for his wife, and they were leather chairs. And they asked if they could have his chair. Because sometime with the flashbacks, he had gripped the sides and wore the leather out and just scratched it and just holding on for dear life, in a sense. To demonstrate to men how bad those flashbacks could be. And he asked me, he said, Gus, how did you get through it? And all I could say, God healed my mind. God healed my mind. See, that's one of the young ladies back there that nicknamed me Bulletproof. Because I thought I was. Hey. The whole process for Elaine, first few years, three to five years, I t- don't touch me. Don't touch me. And even now sometimes she don't understand when she touched me the feelings and, and the stuff that just happens automatically. But God has done such a healing effect. Ackman asked me to help intervene with veterans because they were losing it so often and the police were going out and they were having the gunfights and this was going on. And after about three or four of those, I said, I can't do anymore. Because what it was also doing to me. (laughs) And he says, boy, I just want you to believe, but I want you to have peace up here for that you can believe. Understand, when you are a person confused and bewildered and, and can't figure things out, the last thing you want to hear about really is Jesus Christ. But he is the one who will order your steps. He's the one who will guide you. He is the one who will open doors. He is the one who will bless you. And begin to put life together for you. The question, why do you doubt? Can I ask you that? Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt the scriptures? Why do you doubt what the word of God says? Why do you doubt sometime with certain thoughts? And God is pulling at your thought life He's pulling at you and he's giving... Why do you doubt that? Why do you cast it down? Because he's trying to direct you to do what you know you ought to do, but you refuse to do it. Why do you knock it down? Go up to verse 40 and 41. It says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, they what? 
they still did not what? Understand something. When you're in that process of trying to believe God, guess who else is there? Satan. The father of lies are there. He's there. And for every truth that is given, he's going to give a half-truth and a lie. And you've got to be able to discern what you're going to trust, what you're going to believe. And with God, there's always this one real special issue. He doesn't leave you where you are. The challenge is always to do something that only then he can intervene with. And he says, boy, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy of what? Amazement. There can be so much joy that you're having joy and this is just something of your what? Of your mind, but it's not real. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Why? He wants to demonstrate a little bit more. They gave him a piece of boiled fish. Now, me and Roscoe know about boiled fish, don't we, Roscoe? He gave them a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their what? Their presence. Just to demonstrate that he was not a figmentation of their mind. He was not just some spirit or ghost or mirage showing up. But he's the real deal. He's there. Go with me to Mark real quick, 16. I want you to take a look at this, and then I want you to ask yourself, is this you? Is this you? Mark 16, picking up in verse 14. I want you to look and see what Jesus says to them. And maybe you have to apply this to yourself. Maybe you have to admit, yes, this is me. Maybe you have to ask for help. And even you're believing. And he says, in that verse 14, he says, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. Now look what he does. He rebukes them for their lack of what? Faith. Faith in who? And faith in what? Their faith in him and their faith in his word. He had spoken. I will come forth in three days. I will rise from the grave. But it takes you and I believing that. Believing that he's alive. Even today. That Christianity is not a folklore. That Christianity is not just a do something to feel good. That Christianity is just not following a historical path of your family. But that you know it for yourself. That you know him for yourself. And he says, for their lack of faith. Now look at the second part here. And their stubborn refusal. Their stubborn refusal. Their stubborn Refusal. They just refused to believe. And sometimes God is dealing with us and we refuse. And that's when we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. Because we refuse to believe what God is saying or what God is asking of us. That's why James says, don't just be hearers of the word, because you're going to hear it. You're going to hear God's directions. 
You're going to hear God's plan for your life. You're going to hear God rebuke you and correct you and tell you this is the way you ought to live. This is the way you ought to walk. You're going to hear it. You're going to see it in Scripture. But it's up to you to receive it or you refuse it. It's yours. He says, and their stubborn refusal to believe those you have seen him after he was risen. They didn't believe those who gave testimony to it. They wouldn't accept it. Because their own stubborn refusal. And some still doubt. Some still doubt it. Now, when you go into that Matthew 28, he makes it so clear. They go out to a place where they have been before with him. But it makes it very clear. Some still doubt it. Now, they were told after three days he would rise. And you can see that in Scripture for yourself. In Matthew 16, 21, 17, 23, and Matthew 20, 19. God taught, Jesus taught, that he would come forth from the grave in three days. They are the ones now who have to believe it. They are the ones that have to have confidence in it, that he would do it. They are the ones that have to act in a manner that says, I really believe this. The difference that Scripture shows us is this, between the men and the women, and I hate to say it, it is still true today. Women have a much more compassion and easier to believe God than men do. We can see it even in our churches because we're loaded with what? Women. And the question is, where are the men? You can see it down through history. And who were the first to wind up at the tomb? The women. The women. And yet not one woman was an apostle that heard and maybe in private teaching I will rise in three days. They heard it secondhand. But they believed it. But the apostles heard it from the very, as they say, the horse's mouth. They heard it from Jesus. And they were there. Looking. Now, understand this. If Jesus had not risen, like he said, he would have been proven, or he would have proven that he lied. If he didn't come forth in three days, Jesus lied. And everything else he says has to be a lie. Everything rests on that resurrection. Either he lied or he told the truth. Either he's a liar about everything else based on the fact that one lie that he would come forth from the grave. Turn me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Get out of 2 Corinthians. Get over there. Go to verses 17 through 20. Look at what he's saying here. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Yeah, it's worthless. What we believe in is worthless. It really is a lie. It's a myth. If I can say it in this fashion. We're like everybody else believing a lie of a God that does not exist. But because he came forth from the grave, it's the truth. It's the truth. And he's the only one that died and came back 
in three days. He's the only one that history talks about being put in a tomb. And the tomb was empty. And what can't be explained is how. Is how. So the question always comes up, how? They know he was put in there, but nobody. And we got all kind of myths about the gases, somebody stole it, so this happened. Other than that, he rose from the dead. Just like he said in three days. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is fruitful. You are still in your what? Your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Because there really is no Savior. They believed in a lie. They trusted in a lie. He was a liar. And they too are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Why? Because we are believing a lie. We are believing a lie. And he says in verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. He's been raised from the dead. Now let's go back and look at Thomas because we really want to understand the challenge now that is given. Because see, this is the challenge that you and I have to face. This is the same words in a sense that God is going to be saying to us. It is the words that God is saying to an unbeliever. It is a word that is being said here that is said to the troubled mind. It is the one who's trying to figure out who Jesus is. Is he really God? Can I trust him? The whole process hangs on this, on these few words that Jesus is going to say to Thomas because he says it to us. He says it to us. In verse 27, pick up with me in 26 verse. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, again, what? Peace. Be with you. Then he said to Thomas, now he's directly speaking to Thomas, but you might be the Thomas. And God is speaking. To Thomas's. He is speaking to unbelievers. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Isn't that the request that Thomas asked for? Isn't that the condition that Thomas said, I need to be able to believe, I need to do these things? And look how God answered. But after that, is what is so important because that's what he says to us. And he says it to Thomas. He says, stop! Stop what? Stop your unbelieving! Stop it! Stop it! Why? There is more truth out here about Jesus Christ that there is no reason for a person to be an unbeliever. Stop it! I've given you more truth, more evidence, more teaching. You were with me. I told you what was going to happen. I told you I would rise in three days. I told you, yes, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. Put me in a grave. But in three days, I will arise. I told you that. Stop your unbelief! And for some of you, you need to stop your unbelief 
and start believing and trusting and discovering your confidence is not in yourself. It is in a risen Savior. And he simply says to him, stop doubting and believe. See that little fine line? Stop doubting and what? Believe. Every area of life, every problem, every situation, you're going to have your doubts. And he says, stop doubting. Believe me. Find out what God wants in your life at that point. With every problem, every situation that's in your life, what is God doing? What is God trying to show me? Stop your unbelieving and begin to believe him and trust him and walk with him. Obey him and see what happens. Discover this God through living a life in service for him. Stop being the religious person and become the servant of the Most High God. Stop being somebody who just attends church but don't believe in what Scripture says. Stop being somebody who says, I'm a Christian but don't really know if they're saved or not. Stop it. Stop doubting. And believe. And believe. Stop doubting. And believe. How many of you are believing for your children, your grandchildren? Stop doubting that they can't be saved and stop believing that they what? Can be saved. Stop doubting that they won't have victory in this area. And start believing they will have victory in this area. Stop doubting God. And start believing God. But here comes a little key that Charles Stanley really brings in very well. Believe God. And leave the results to who? To God. To God. Leave those results to God. When you stop doubting... You will say the same thing that Thomas said. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. My Lord. Father, we just thank you and praise you that you have given us evidence of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have given us, Lord, his word that he would come back from the dead. And you told us, Lord, that you were going to the Father and that you would sit at his right hand and you would make intercession for us. On our behalf, you speak to the Father. And that you would give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I thank you that we can believe that you're sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, very much alive and living, and you're making intercession for our lives. Where I fall short, you have no problem saying, to the Father, I covered that with my blood. And the Holy Spirit that I've given to him is going to help make correction. Father, help us, O oh God, not to throw things that happen in life over into the luck category, that I was lucky. But may we truly be able to say every good and perfect gift cometh from above. And whatever I have, it comes from God. 
and that God is the one who is ordering my steps. God is the one who is guiding me. God is the light of my life. God is the one that I love, that I embrace. Help us, Lord, to come to a place that we truly make you Lord of our lives and we truly believe that you are the one and only God. Deal with us, Lord. Let us not fall into easy believism. Help us, Lord, to see thee clearly. And Lord, as we hide your word in our hearts, may your word enrich us. May your word cause us not to sin against you. May your word give us confidence to live out this Christian life. Because, Lord, it's through your word that we develop a mind like Jesus. Help us, Lord, not to doubt, but to believe. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.